Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Carl Raschke. His last name is spelled R-A-S-C-H-K-E. And he came to my attention. I was looking through some of the research files for Jolly and West that are located at UCLA, and I saw his name pop up. And I had read this book that we're going to talk about, Painted Black, Back when I was really at the beginning of really researching Aleister Crowley, this was kind of one of the known books that deals with occultism. So uh, that's kind of going to be the theme. And professor and author Rashki is going to talk about what it took to write this and also the critiques and also his view on the crit critics of, the, of him for writing this book. But uh, there's a lot of information in the books. It's an excellent book. I was reading through it again today. Um, but... Uh, I'm going to go through the back. The full title of the book is Painted Black, From Drug Killings to Heavy Metal, The Alarming True Story of How Satanism is Terrorizing Our Communities, published October 1st, 1990. Carl Raschke is Professor of Philosophy of Religion at the University of Denver and Director of its MA program. He is the past chair of the department. He specializes in continental philosophy, political theology, the philosophy of religion, art theory, globalization theory, and the theory of religion. He was chosen university lecturer for 2020-2021. He is an internationally known writer and academic who's authored numerous books and hundreds of articles on topics ranging from postmodernism to popular religion to, and culture to technology and society. His recent books include Neoliberalism and Political Theology from Kant to Identity Politics, published 2019, a postmodern theology, a biopic, 2017, Critical Theology, an Agenda for an Age of Global Crisis, 2016, Force of God, Political Theology, and the Crisis of Liberal Democracy, 2015. Postmodernism and the Revolution in Religious Theory Toward a Semiotics of the Event, 2012. He is the Senior Editor for the Journal for Cultural and Religious Theory and Senior Consulting Editor of the New Polis. He's also a Director and Officer for the White Stone Foundation. From 2016 to 2018, he served as Managing Editor for Political Theology Today, which I think is now called the Political Theology Network. He has been a visiting scholar at the University of Vienna, as well as Rice University, and regular adjunct at the Seattle School for Theology and Psychology. But uh, again, we're going to talk about this great book. It's titled Painted Black. And we talked a little bit, like I said earlier, he came up in the research stuff for Jolly and West that I'm kind of working on with Philip Fairbanks. And we talked kind of uh, by through email about why he thinks he was there and some of the kind of cult war kind of can cult awareness network stuff that he knows more about. So Carl Raschke, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard your name or this book, maybe you can talk about your, uh, you know, uh, career background and kind of what led you to write this, uh, seems to be kind of a, an outlier considering your other academic work. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I, I wrote this book because I was asked to by an editor at, uh, or, or I should say, a um, acquisitions editor for Harper Collins, because at the time it was all over the news, and they were looking for somebody who had academic status, which I did, uh, to write a book about this topic. And I also had a journalistic background. I, my first career back in uh, the late uh, '60s was as a journalist in California. Uh, during the heyday of the counterculture. Um, so, um, yeah, that's why it's a little bit of an outlier. It's, it's not, it wasn't, and it still isn't what I've noted for in the academic world. In fact, I would think that most 
people in the academic world look at it like, well, you know, that's okay. That's kind of like eccentric sort of side trip that he took and what he did. But, but actually, uh, I had started working uh, in the 70s and 80s in what is now from what euphemistically called the new, new religious movements. Then it was popularly called cults. Uh, both those terms are kind of not descriptive of what's really going on. You know, one is kind of too bland and you might consider it to be, uh, you know, sort of a base of, of the deeper issues. The other uh, cults, I think, is much too strong because it becomes, oh, that's a cult, that's a cult, this is a cult. No, so we, we need some kind of more nuanced terminology, but unfortunately, uh, words mean what the public uh, tends to use them for. And uh, right now, um, you know, I, I think there's an effort to try to be a little bit more nuanced, but the media doesn't really care about the issues anymore uh, the way they did in the 70s and 80s. But basically what uh, I was doing in the late 70s and 80s and was writing about the whole kind of alternative religious phenomena that started in California and kind of reached a fever pitch particularly in the San Francisco Bay Area where I had lived and going to high school and uh, went to uh, college and got my master's degree before I went back east to get my doctorate. Uh, and when I got to Colorado, or as we jokingly call it during the time, Colorado, uh, this, all of this kind of stuff like, you know, a storm front was moving east and was taking over the Rocky Mountain region. And I started teaching it University of Denver in the early 70s and virtually half my class was following some kind of guru or some kind of uh, way of, you know, opening your mind to cosmic consciousness the way it was called and so forth. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of that, you know, looking back and I analyzed it in some published articles at the time was really an effort to try to get off mind expanding drugs, which had serious side effects and consequences and was destroying people's minds, if not their bodies. Uh, you know, that was the baby boomer generation. That, you know, <laughs> the millennials and Gen X today think we're all this is kind of conservative, you know, block of people they saw on their parents, but actually that the baby boomers were a lot more radical in their lifestyles than any millennials could have imagined today. So anyway, I was writing about all that and kind of, you know, if you want to just, you know, speak kind of uh, off the cuff craziness of that period. And I thought, well, you know, this is interesting with my journalistic experience and background. You know, I can go out, talk to people, interview, uh, visit certain kind of seances or salons or whatever. I didn't really know much about it and I hadn't taken much interest, but it was just ubiquitous uh, in Denver at the time. So I became kind of a uh, slowly developed as a scholar at it. I became recognized, you know, right around the time I got tenure for the first for the first time in the late 70s, uh, you know, I got recognized that as somebody who can speak authoritatively about this. Um, and then in the mid 80s, there was this whole phenomenon called the New Age movement. And uh, I became the instant authority on the New Age movement. Uh, it was funny because just kind of randomly through a series of references, uh, a writer for the New York Times was doing an article on what is the New Age movement. You know, Shirley MacLaine was coming to prominence uh, with her uh, books and uh, also 
you know, her movies and so forth. Of course, none of this stuff is really new. It was just a kind of branding and marketing of what had already been going on in the counterculture for the last 15 years. Um, what, I, what I discovered in, uh, I think it was 1986, uh, that if you get quoted on the cover of the New York Times, you're everybody's authority for perpetuity. Uh, and so all of a sudden I started getting media interviews. I was on virtually every major talk show, including Good, Mer uh, uh, Good Morning America, uh, you know, whatever it was, you know, whatever the, the latest new age fashion or cult phenomenon, as it was beginning to be called, came down the pike. I really didn't deal a lot with Satanism. I only kind of discovered Satanism late in the game, and I actually was through uh, my study of UFO contactees, people who claim to be UFO contactees, that I learned about Satanism. Uh, and uh, there was also a guy who I mentioned, I called him Jim Jones, uh, or John Jones, I'm sorry, in the preface was painted black, but he was a former drug dealer from Pueblo, Colorado. Um, John Jones was his real name, but he had a very generic name just like that. Uh, and he told me all this kind of weird stuff that was going on, uh, which I didn't believe at first, or I, or I was a little skeptical about it, but I always had this habit, habit, you know, of listening to what people have to say and not making snap judgments, even though it may seem really out there on a, on a limb. And lo and behold, through inquiries and using my journalistic tracking uh, skills, I began to find out, well, maybe there is some kind of plausibility to some of this. So that's how I got into, into the subject of Satanism. And because my already existing notoriety as a cult expert, you know, once I, I published an article, and it was with a, um, a kind of quasi-religious uh, journal, uh, I think it was called a Spiritual Counterfeits Project. They asked me to write about Satanism. And I said, sure, I'll give it a try. You know, I don't know much about it as I do know about the New Age movement, but I'll write about it. Well, apparently uh, there was a famous person who was promoting Satanism as his own brand uh, at the time who got a hold of the article and got really upset. And I had been fed a lot of the information from his ex-girlfriend. Uh, so. Uh, who was known uh, to another academic at the time, was an anthropologist who introduced me to her. This is, the, this is the anthropologist, by the way, that helped break the case with the FBI in the early 80s, the, uh, the, the, day, uh, the uh, Allen Bird killing. Uh, that was where the white supremacist movement, the, the order, that famous, I don't know, Anybody remembers that, it's history, but it was a pretty big thing at the time. Uh, so there was a kind of network of, we might call independent uh, public interest researchers out there all began to contact. And so I would gather their information, I would talk about it. The irony was there were virtually no academic experts uh, that would even touch this stuff. And you know, I found it, you know, I, I didn't like all the publicity. You know, it was, it was basically, a, it was a huge, you know, waste. I wouldn't say it's a waste of time, but it was a huge uh, amount of, of demands upon my time. Uh, and, you know, in those days we didn't have the internet, we didn't have email, so I'd get all these phone calls at my office. They'd be forwarded to my home phone. Uh, I'd get letters in the mail. People would dump whole, you know, gigantic 
boxes or valises of information, written information about their cases or their kids' cases. And, you know, I just became the sort of intake for all the stuff that was going on nationally because I was in the news and it, it, it fed upon each other. Uh, and so, um, right, maybe the, it was the late 80s uh, when I think it was the, uh, the Night Stalker incident happened, which became national news. Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez, and right. Sorry. You know, he had used the satanic pentagram and that kind of, that event along with the kind of, you know, hyping a lot of this stuff on the media. There was a book um, by, uh, I can't remember her name right now, but it was called uh, Mich Michelle Plaster. That's it. Michelle Remembers uh, about someone who had been, in uh, hypnotic regression and remembered being a victim of these satanic cults. Well, you know, I, I didn't pay any attention to that, but that, that got really fed into the news media cycle and everybody was talking about it. So all of a sudden there was this interest in, in Satanism. And I knew a little bit, it was mostly what was going on locally. Well, that article I wrote apparently caused a storm of protest among the people who were either sympathetic to Satanism who were identified as Satanists in the Bay Area, and they all you know, began to kind of trash me. They didn't have the internet, they didn't have Wikipedia at the time, but it's like, well, you know, you're, you're defaming us and so forth. So, you know, finally it became kind of a national sensation, and uh, there was a guy I knew, actually a former student of mine uh, from years ago who was now working with HarperCollins and uh, he, um, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. I did have a former student, but it was a professor who was working with HarperCollins and the, they were tasked with finding an academic would write a book and explain all this and what they considered to be a responsible matter. So I had a lot of information. I had a lot of you know, informants and so forth. And I said, well, sure, why not? You know, I'll answer the call. And that's how the book came about. You know, I didn't, it was, Satanism was not what I was really interested in at the time, but it was engaging. It was, it was sexy. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, disinformation, a lot of propaganda out there by different sides of the fact there were the sort of, you know, evangelicals, or I would call evangelical fundamentalists who were, you know, talking about, Satan under every tree and, you know, international cults of Satanists. I never had any evidence for that. I know there are international cults, particularly among the elite. You want, would you call them Satanists? No, it's a little more sophisticated. Now, that's been the narrative. Well, it's even been thrown at me that, you know, well, this is all about conspiracy theories about international cults of Satanists in high places, and Rashke's promoting this. You know, I did nothing of the kind. It was in the, in the context of that where I was approached by Dale Griffiths, who was an was a ex-police captain, uh, and he introduced me to a lot of his uh, police officer friends. They already had their own network. It was called 125. I was the only academic who was asked to join. Uh, and so they fed me a lot of information. Some of that went in the book and also people he knew. And, Just you know, sorry to interrupt, but Dale Gis unfortunately passed away in 2020. And he had his own kind of library of files. And I talked to Dale Griffiths once I published Abomination about the West Memphis Three, which is a whole nother can of worms. But uh, sadly, he's passed away. But his files, I mean, like you said, pre-internet, he kept voluminous records in that he 
Right, and right. I know yeah. people who've seen his film. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, and honestly, I never saw all of his files, but he <clears throat> he would regularly introduce me to people and pass information, you know, to me and so forth. And he also had uh, a lot of connections in uh, federal law enforcement. Uh, so, um, you know, sometimes they get calls from them to ask me about that. Now, realizing the FBI at that period was very skeptical of, you know, Satanism. And they had their own, you know, kind of guy who really... Landing report. Clean. It's known yeah, as he, a landing report. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he, as far as I know, he wasn't really a, officially representing the FBI, but he kind of fudged it so people thought, well, this is the, you know, FBI, you know, perspective, and it wasn't, you know, but he was always in the news and he was leveraged by what I later called cult apologists as sort of, well, here's an FBI agent, you know, has a different point of view and so forth. Uh, and actually, I got approached uh, in uh, the 1990s by somebody, and I don't know if he knew Lanning or not, but he claimed to be speaking for Lanning. It was in this kind of dark restaurant when I was meeting for something else, and I was kind of shocked. And he said um, that, uh, well, Ken Lanning would like you to stop criticizing was in a kind of an implicit threat, and that you know that that true story happened. I I don't know if he actually had a connection to Lanning or not. I have no evidence he did, but it was like Lanning was used in a whole variety of contexts. Whether he actually participated or let it happen, or what his own role was, I don't know. I never met the guy. You know, I did criticize his public stance. You know, and, uh, that was. I heard anyway. just sorry to interrupt. Just a break. I criticized Lanning in a in a conversation I had with Ken and me. So people can go look at my earlier interview with Ken about the landing report. We kind of took it apart. And uh, yeah, it's not that it's not, I mean, a lot of, it's kind of like people misrepresent what he said, but it's not very well argued and it's not factually based. Like your book has tons. You have one chapter with just tons of uh, occult crime cases. So yeah, landing a lot of that, a lot of that I got out of local newspapers. You know, I mean, it was an interesting thing that, you know, people would say, you know, the critics, but they didn't know what to deal with it because I had all this factual information and they would, and they would also argue, well, why didn't you have footnotes to it? You know, that's, that's, well, because it's, it was trying to be promoted as a trade book and you don't put freight, uh, footnotes in trade books. I mean, it's as simple as that, you know, but, uh, you know, it was all, it was all from microfiches. I mean, I did a lot of research. I went around to different parts of the country, you know, went into the, um, the archives, for example, the whole, the whole story of what happened at Madame Morris in Brownsville, you know, I actually went down to Brownsville and, uh, the guy who did most of the investigative reporting on that story, which never got outside the Brownsville, Texas newspaper, but he gave me his whole file on the situation. Wow. That's how I was able to write the second chapter. Uh, on, on Madame Morris, which they came back and says, well, this really wasn't a Satanist cult. Well, you know, I mean, this, these are just all word games in a lot of ways. I Later, I began to say, okay, let's, let's use the word blood occultism, where essentially you, you're trying to get, quote, magical power by committing violence, torture, or, you know, having the experience of love. It's a very common phenomenon, phenomenon that anthropologists study in in various cultures. Uh, and it was adopted, uh, you know, particularly like people like Ramirez. I mean, and the Night Stalker and, I mean, excuse me, uh, Son of Constanza? Sam. Constanza? Yeah. Yeah. Constanza? 
yeah. Right, you I write mean, about that. You add like Mayan, Mayan, Aztec things. Like yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He was a modern kind of Aztec priest in some, in many, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we call it Satanism. But the whole question was, <clears throat> you know, Satanism has not been a single phenomena down through the ages, and that's what I tried to explain. <laughs> I mean, even today, there there are people that are all over the place that call themselves Satanists. Look like something like uh, the Temple of Set that Michael Aquino started, the Temple of Satan, Lucian Greaves, the uh, the Church of Satan that was started by Anton LaVey. I had a very interesting conversation after I wrote the book Painted Black uh, with one of Anton LaVey's uh, children. Uh, and it was, it was a very cordial conversation. It was right after an interview. Uh, and I actually signed a copy of Painted Black and gave it to her, and to gave it to her dad because he said he liked the book. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, I mean, that's what she told me, you know. And uh, so, you know, the, the critics always talked about hysteria and they say, I promoted the hysteria. Well, the hysteria was already there. And the cult apologists were as much responsible for the hysteria. First of all, misreading, misrepresenting themselves half the time as legitimate academics, and they weren't. You know, they're just people with degrees. They're all bonded together in like this ridiculous organization of something I don't even call the scientific study of religion, not the legitimate um, uh, organizations out there, Society for the Scientific Study of Religion, but it sounded like that. It sounded very authoritative. And that they create these little cartels, and they were masters at getting press, you know, so all of a sudden you had all this kind of hype about the Satanist menace. And by the way, that subtitle, I didn't choose that. The the publisher chose that to sell the book. I didn't even know that was on the book until they released it, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I had a more sober subtitle on it. Uh, and, and then, of course, when the publisher got all the, the pushback, then they sort of said, oh, you know, you know. We don't, you know, we, we didn't mean it. We didn't do that, you know. But, you know, it's like to this day, I don't think there's been an honest discussion of what really happened during that period. I tried to do one. Uh, but, you know, it's like everybody's, it, it's sort of like what's going on in the Ukraine. You listen to Putin and, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's ridiculous what they say. But, you know, some people believe it because it fits their mentality, fits their narrative. One of the points that I was pushing throughout the book is, you know, and, and, and a lot of my critics were the time where people on the, you know, cultural left, you know, how can, you know, these are just abused, misfortunate people, like the Night Stalker and so forth. And I said, well, you know, there's a strong element of neo-fascism, neo-Nazism. That was, of course, you know, explicit in Anton LaVey's own book. You know, he talks about the glory, he talks about the Nazis. There was the werewolf order that his children were involved in. That was celebrating, you know, the fanatics that tried you know, at the very last minute when Allied armies were marching on Berlin to, you know, to stop them by doing acts of terrorism and so forth. So there was this kind of romanticism, which I call aesthetic terror in the book, you know. So I mean, I try to be as nuanced as I can, but then you get uh, these, but, you know, people like the, like the guy who basically did all that stuff in Wikipedia. There's one guy, I found out who he was. Uh, I actually tried 
to shut him down. And I'm not going to go into that, how I did that. Uh, but, uh, you know, and to this day, I know his name. And as far as I can tell, he was, he was connected uh, with uh, a satanic organization uh, in the Northeast. Oh, not surprised. Michael Aquino, too, was a full Nazi fetishist. He had Nazi daggers. He went to Wevelsburg Castle, which was the head of the SS under Himmler. Did he, he called it the Wevelsburg Working. So he was the full thing, and he killed himself a couple years ago. So I did a whole show about that, too. Oh, he killed himself. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know how he died. Yeah, somebody, somebody, an intrepid researcher got his death certificate, and he, uh, in San Francisco, he yeah. put a gun gun to his head. So, but uh, it is interesting. A lot of these guys, like I know some of the names of the crit critiques on your Wikipedia page. This Wouter Hanegraaff is an academic of the occult in Europe, so of course he's going to say it. And almost all the people will call me a satanic panic person, or yeah, actually, I, I've actually I've actually met him personally oh, okay. in Amsterdam, and you know I asked him very nicely. I said, you know, I because I was doing a sabbatical at the time. I said, can I come work with you and we can talk about this? And he was very kind of standoffish and said no. So, but there are academics in Europe that are full time like occultists. Marco Pazzi, some of these other characters when I was researching Crowley, they all that's their life is is that it's really fascinating. Well, yeah, and you know, and that's the whole thing about religious studies as a field that you have people that are more than kind of observers, they're participant observers. And a lot of them have gone over to the side of what they're studying. Uh, you know, for example, a lot of people don't know about how the whole field was dominated by huge amounts of what we might call uh, uh, monetary influence of people in religious studies back in the 80s and 90s, you know, particularly the Unification Church, which wasn't technically a satanic cult, but we know about the Sun Young Moon. He was into this. He was into sex magic and so forth. And you know, there was also a uh, uh, a study uh, that was what well, wasn't a study. It was a, it was a congressional report uh, back in the late seventies. Um, I'm trying to. Who was the senator from Idaho? His name was. Oh, the Church Report. The church, yeah, the Church Report. Uh, or, or does that have to do with the Kennedy assassination? I, don't I think that was the it was the church was it HUAC? I don't remember, but the church thing was they were looking into the CIA, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, and this is on the Korean CIA and its connection to the Unification Church and how the two were intertwined. Uh, you know, I mean, the one thing that I have known and nothing's ever been written about it because you can't get the documentation. You can find stuff in old CIA files if you know where to look that kind of hints at it. And, and that is that, you know, basically looking back now, I say that a lot of the so-called cult wars was, was simply an information war, uh, trying to find people who could be bought, and many people were bought, or at least they were said, just like the tobacco company was. I mean, academics are notorious for, you know, being bought. I hate to say that, but it's true, uh, you know, on all sides. And um, they... Uh, they went along with, you know, ridiculous narratives. You look at a lot of these books that are talking about the Satan scare uh, or the, the uh, what is it? Uh, yeah. Satanic okay. panic. That's they love that. Satanic panic. Yeah, but if you actually that. look at those books, you know, there's no evidence they write. They're just all quoting each other. So there's no original source of actual data. They're just 
they just got this kind of narrative, this theory, which people like Lanning would regularly spout. What they do is they play the authority card, which a lot of it they kind of, they, they, they basically invent their own credentials. Because, because you know, let's look at it. I mean, if, if media is, you know, untrustworthy now, in those days, it wasn't so much that media was, you know, unscrupulous. It's like people didn't know what they were talking about. You know, that's why reason I got interviewed so much on the New Age movement by, you know, media coming out of the wazoo. It's like, well, I saw you, you must be the authority because I saw you quoted somewhere else, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I knew how to talk to the media. I would talk to them. I'd explain it in detail. And they'd, you know, they'd swoon and say, oh, that's wonderful. That's great. You know, and, and, and so, you know, they also have uh, publicity agents. And so these groups had their own publicity agents and they were effective. You know, because the media up until about that time that book came out in 1990, uh, and the paperback came out in 1991, was like, was all buying into the satanic panic. You know, it, was, it wasn't academics, it wasn't police officers, social workers who built it up, it was the media built it up, you know. Uh, and uh, then all of a sudden, just like at a dime, you know, just like... You know the weather in Kansas. Everything turned, and you know, it all became, you know, delusion. Uh, right, right. You you mentioned he uh, he got disconnected for a second, but he mentioned actually Carl mentioned like the propaganda that's used against the reality of my in my opinion of satanic influence crime, which I think is pretty obvious uh, if you just look at all the facts and all the cases. He interestingly mentioned in the book. He mentioned John Doe 60, which was a satanic crime in San Francisco. And there's a picture of that on Dave McGowan's cover of Program to Kill, which is still influential. It's still an influential book. But uh, he goes into, Carl goes into appeal to authority, inversion of the subject, pseudo distinction, thought stopping cliches, genetic fallacy. Really interesting. Like so much in this book is like many of the people that I've talked to. Uh, he who I do I've done interviews with Dave McGowan on Ed Opperman report. You can go look at listen to those. We talk about the West Memphis Three, but uh, he mentioned Michael Hoffman, who I interviewed about his new book Twilight Language. So he's mentioned in Painted Black. So it's really kind of a di uh, it's really kind of a timestamp. I think this book is an important timestamp. That's actually. I mean, it's so different than some of these other style books. I think Carl mentioned some of these evangelical books that may not have the weight, I think, that Painted Black does. And, and it has tons of, you can reference these facts. There may not be as many footnotes. It's not an academic book. But you can type in these names and all these things come up, you know, that uh, these cases, Ramirez, he talks about all these occult underground groups. So in a lot of ways, it's it's uh, it's a reflection of, really kind of the deep knowledge of the Western esoteric tradition, not just kind of the Satanism that's taking place now. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. He mentions cases that I studied there. My old occult investigations, YouTube channels gone, but uh, I used to have these cases on one that he did at the Hardy boys, which was a uh, two uh, kids who were in high school who got involved in Satanism and they killed a guy by the name of Newberry, but so much of this stuff, like I've studied uh, LaVey, I've studied, <clears throat> what is it, Eliphas Levy, and so he goes into how Eliphas Levy influenced the KKK, 
and Albert Pike. So that was fascinating. So there's a lot. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. And there, the Cold War is really, like you said, I mean, Kill Balls is talking about it. It was like an information war. Some information they just wanted to discredit. And uh, you can go look. You can go look at Carl Rashke's Wikipedia page. And half of it, Wikipedia is no longer reliable. And I don't know if it really was reliable at its inception. But there, there's like the, you know, what is it? The Purple Hair Brigade are these type of people who are adjusting all this stuff and, and calling everybody Nazis. It's the same type of irresponsible terminology that they use, but it's not objective at all. And so you can see all these people just gang piling on Carl Raschke about this book. It's really incredible how many people took the time out to try to discredit him or be pissed off him. So, uh, I would I would recommend people go to uh, hopefully Carl will come back. He's disconnected according to my um but yeah, Wikipedia is horrible. You're absolutely right. It's not reliable. There should be some kind of there's a there's better encyclopedia. You can go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, it's probably better, better resource. And if you really want a really good resource, this is just a tip, go to the Encyclopedia Britannica Scholars Edition. Hi Carl, welcome back. You just need to get your oh no, you need to get your um your mic. Your mic isn't plugged in either. I think you might have knocked out one of the cables, but your mic isn't plugged in. Anyway, so there's a lot in this book that I highly recommend. You can get a copy of Painted Black. <coughs> I saw it online, but um, it was put out in the... Oh, now you're yeah. good. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it, it I was muted. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? You're hitting a mute button. You it's, Now it's off. Now we're back on. Yeah, now, you're now you're off. So you now you're on. The system is doing this. I'm doing... Okay, I don't know what's going on. Let me take you off of this. <laughs> so it's not on your side. It's got to be on mine. Right. Okay. Okay. Perfect. I think okay. you're coming through perfect. Okay. It might okay. be. Sometimes the system bugs out a little bit, so I apologize for that. Um, I was just kind of talking about some of the cases that I'd studied. I had an old inve occult investigations page that, that YouTube took away from me or Google. I can't even get back into it. But I covered kind of the Hardy Boys. So some of these cases like, uh, and this was before the West Memphis Three, which I wrote a book about, which is totally occult. And a really a cultural, like you want to talk about the aesthetics of terror or the cultural impact of Satanism. The West Memphis Three is off the charts because all those people, a lot of those people surrounding that case, they all are fellow travelers. You start researching them, and you realize that they have an affinity for Crowley or Kino or Ulave or you know all that stuff comes back. Anyway, uh, Carl, do you have time to take a few questions? Yeah, sure. I was just trying to figure out what's going on. I also, I've got two cameras on here, and the uh, the external camera, which I was using now, I can't figure out how to put it back on. So. Oh, you, you sound you sound good. So let me see if I can pull up some of these old questions. Do you Hill Dog asks? Do you say as are the? Do you believe the New Age and Theosophy are similar? Well, yeah, it was the Theosophical movement. Alice Bailey, who was the kind of third generation, uh, um, the spiritual granddaughter of Helen Blavatsky, who coined the term. You can you can. Alice Bailey wrote a lot. She actually had uh, influence on the on Eleanor Roosevelt, as far as I understand. Uh, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the kind of 
spiritual ideas behind the United Nations came out of Alice Bailey's work. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, theosophy, you know, evolved too. So I would call late stage theosophy of the New Age or very similar. In fact, you read Alice Bailey's writing, she's always talking about the coming of the New Age. So that, that's where I've traced the term to. Gotcha. And then Oswald asks, are you aware of any Satanist infiltration into anthroposophy? I think that's an out, it's similar to theosophy, right? Uh, yes. In fact, there was a case in Denver uh, back in the early 90s uh, where some Satanist, Satanist-oriented skinheads uh, killed some cops. It was all on the news. I was actually quoted in Time magazine. I think it was, I don't remember what year it was. It was the early 90s, 92, 93. It might have been as late as 1994. It was, it was, it was a national it was national news at the time, and the the the, the young man who did it was the uh, uh, son of of a uh, of a somebody who had uh, been uh, well known for anthroposophical forms of education. Yeah, that's a tough question. Um... Let's see, what are Carl's thoughts on the human potential movement and its impact from Joker 37? Uh, well, that? it had a tremendous impact now. I mean, it's been its course, its history. Uh, it was, the new, the new Age movement was this kind of catch-all term for everything that we would call, you know, essentially 60s countercultural new thought. It was, it was just a kind of grab bag. And of course, you had Maslow, you had Esalen, so, you know, the movement itself is pretty much expired. Things like Esler are there. Uh, the, uh, the institutionalization or what uh, Max Weber called the uh, routinization of charisma is everywhere. I mean, it had a huge impact on culture. Uh, and, uh, you know, we probably we don't realize how much of an impact it did. It basically changed the whole orientation and a, a lot of the kind of globalistic anti-American thinking, it wasn't consciously anti-American. It was just like, well, nation states don't matter. You know, it's all about this spiritual, mystical idea of, of uh, you know, one world and one humanity. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that was all there. That was Alice Bailey's vision. I mean, that's why <laughs> the United Nations is formation had a lot of I mean, you go, <coughs> excuse me, there's a, there's a chapel in New York at the, at the UN that uh, was basically, and it's still there, it was built by uh, Bailey's disciples. Is it St. John's? Is that the St. John's Chapel? Is that right? I can't remember the name. Of oh, okay. Or there's definitely a chapel inside the UN building with the block of Saturn or whatever. Um, yeah. another, another question is, do you have any run-ins with targeted individuals? I don't know. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know. Um, let's see. <coughs> how did the – I got another question. How did the SRU, SR9 Stanford research affect the occult? Do you know anything about that? Uh, I've, I've heard stories about that, but you know, I understand it was more in, in the realm of parapsychology. Uh, and, uh, you know, which was an effort to try to give some scientific legitimacy uh, to the occult. 
mean, it was it was all a bloom in the 1970s. Uh, but I don't. I I've never pursued looking into it in detail. Gotcha. Um, let's see. I think there was another one. That is, do you think that cult techniques are in general are being used by politicians on the left and right today? I guess Oswald's asking that. Well, it depends what you mean by cult techniques. I mean, I mean, let's look at it this way: uh, the Soviets had, had been studying and, and leveraging the occult, you know, all the way going back. I mean, take even Blavatsky. Blavatsky was the daughter of a Russian intelligence officer. So that was during the so-called Great Game when uh, Britain and uh, Russia were fighting control of what is now Afghanistan, the Himalayas, and so forth. And if he's really, it's no, it's no hard evidence, but there's a lot of circumstantial evidence uh, to show that, you know, Blavatsky's whole theosophical movement may have been an effort to counter uh, British influence in India. And it's well known that uh, uh, theosophy had uh, an, an effect on the Indian independence movement. Uh, because it, it 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 called on ancient spiritual ideas of India. Now there's also a lot of non-Indian stuff, and it kind of mystified the whole notion of the Aryans, you know, the Aryan race. I mean, that's where Hitler got the idea of the Aryan race. He got it from theosophy. Uh, so, in, you know, intelligence. I mean, communities have always been tied in with the occult in different ways. But it's not. Again, you. You want to avoid conspiratorial thinking by saying there's just kind of hard connections there. I mean, we, we all are influenced by religious ideas and the occult or the esoteric, which is the more um, academic way of talking about it, is in, in effect, uh, you know, one of the main forms of human motivation, you know, in this age where we think social sciences and explain behavior to the correlation of data, we forget it. It's people's most passionate worldview, what they think is ultimate reality, that gets them to do the weird things. Look how we totally underestimated Putin, uh, you know, thinking, well, you know, he was just this kind of sly, um, you know, sort of calculating chess player. Now we say, you know, we're looking at the horrors and the atrocities. You know, he was he was very much influenced by the Eurasian myth that was promoted by the philosophy of Alexander Dugan, which is based on a kind of species romanticized, uh, somewhat um, uh, weird reading of ancient Russian orthodoxy and the formation of the Russian state during the Kievan period. I mean, people are motivated by this. And, you know, we avoid looking at these strange ideas at our own peril. I can tell you, that all intelligence operations understand the power of religion or the power of esoteric beliefs. Uh, the, the drug cartels, which I wrote about in Painted Black. In fact, I, somebody asked me once in 1990, 1991, uh, what, uh, can you basically tell me what is the relationship between Satanism, Paolo Mayumbi, this kind of eclectic stuff that somebody like Constanza was using? I said, well, you know, it's basically a kind of like a training program uh, for mules and people who want to maintain loyalty. Later, some of the cartels started shifting like to John Eldridge. That's documented. A former colleague of me wrote an article about that. Religion matters. 
Uh, and we live in this age where people think religion is a matter of choice and oh I'm a sick I'm secular, I'm an atheist, you know. I, I I understand it. Well the fact of the matter is people who do things that seem strange or outrageous or we would call evil or even the ultimate good have very strong, deeply uh structured beliefs about the world which causes super superhuman behavior of some sort of sort. And that's and that's where the occult appeals to. People it gives people a who feel like they're nobody a sense of power he even did the same thing for Adolf Hitler no, years ago right no it's a great point i mean these are motivations that play out in the real world and i think that like lanning doesn't ignores a lot of that stuff that these motivations are there and uh, i think that a lot of like the satanic panic people do not acknowledge that either yeah, well, those, 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 that. yeah that whole idea is just a propaganda term i mean there was no satanic panic you know the the way they they discourse the way the discourse is structured about that, and you, I mean actually that love that is, comes out of some of Lanning's writings. You know where he talks about where you have all these professionals who have been bought into this fraud. You know it's like I knew a lot of these police officers. You know at the time, and I still know a lot of them. You know I mean interesting thing the FBI now takes Satanism seriously. They have to be very careful. Because, you know, they can't investigate or prosecute somebody simply for their beliefs. But I made that point over and over again when I was interviewed back in the 90s. Uh, and, uh, you know, now they understand the kind of motivational factor, particularly since 911. You know, when we looked at this kind of strange uh, extremist form of Islam and then ISIS, I mean, all religions have their own potential for extremists. So it's not the case historically. You know, and I am a scholar of religion. Uh, it's not the case that religion automatically, you know, creates extremism, particularly people to do violence, but it's very much there. It's part of the very topography of human history uh, because it's a strong motivational force. Uh, and, you know, if you're trying to basically have an effect on a culture from outside if you're trying to engage in active measures, if you're an intelligence community, you're going to try to find ways to manipulate people's religious predilections or religious beliefs or even give them new kind of experiences or, you know, to sort of promote this that will change their behavior. Uh, and, you know, it goes all the way back to the, the 19th century and probably before. Uh, we just don't have the hard data. And, and the real problem is now, even when the data is presented, this is what was amazing to me when I wrote Painted Black. I mean, it's full of data. And, you know, there was this massive campaign to make it look like it was just some kind of paranoid um, conspiracy writing. What it's, what it's filled with data, data that comes from various kind of professional sources authorized professional sources, including journalistic sources, credible journalistic sources. And people will say, well, that authority says it's, you know, I shouldn't take it seriously. People still do that today. You know, people believe what they want to believe uh, until something actually affects them directly and then they change their mind. Right. And that's Michael Aquino's death certificate. You can barely read it, but it says contact, gunshot, wound, and head. I think the date is... 
because uh, he was 72, and I think it was 2021 or 2020. I can't, I can't see the date. Does it say, does it say suicide on there? It says his address was 2400 Leavenworth Street, San Francisco. You grew up in that area, so he was on Leavenworth. I think he was close to Knob Hill. I no, I didn't grow. I didn't grow. I didn't grow up. There. Oh, no. Oh, I should be looking here. Disposition date 9-10-2019. So he, he died in 2019. Huh. Yeah, I, I knew he died, but I don't know. I, yeah, yeah. interesting. So anyway, uh, is there anything you'd like to add? Anything I missed before we wrap up the discussion about this book? No, I just wish academics would not, you know, live in their own law land. I mean, this side of stuff is going on today. And, this, and, you know, we pay a lot of money for college education. And, and you know, so much of this is just narrative. It's ideology looking for confirmation. And, you know, I can tell you the way I expected painted blind. I wasn't doing it for, you know, for money or for you know, notoriety. I already had that in the academic world. I, I thought I was doing it as a service uh, to the public to try to get some facts rather than get all these accusations and counter accusations. But, you know, we know uh, that uh, there is no uh, good deed that goes unpunished. Uh, and, you know, in fact, people want, wanted the book all the time. The book's not out of print because it didn't sell. It's, it's out of print because the publisher basically caved to all the, you know, criticism. They didn't, they didn't reprint it. Uh, and, uh, you know, people really want to read this book. They need to be put pressure on Harper, Harper Collins because, you know, it's, that's why, you know, people, people will look, they'll go out there, oh, I found a copy of this, you know, in some used bookstore. You know, it's the fact that it's still in demand today because nobody's really written a, a book like it. I know there's some bit other serious books that have come along in the time, you know, but again, this is the only academic book that I know that's ever been written on the topic, you know, and, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't regret it. I'm just, I'm just kind of amazed of how, you know, how the book got treated, and which tells me it was, it was a very dangerous book. You know, the historical facts that it talks about there are, are now 30 years old. A lot of the people, like Aquino, you know, you mentioned are dead, uh, but uh, you know, there's still people who want to believe that this is just all some kind of you know, ultra right wing paranoid conspiracy, you know, Satanism is, you know, and it's not, it's, you know, it's real. Uh, I've talked to so many of these people that have been affected by my, my life. I don't deal with this hardly anymore. You know, I don't, I don't research it. I don't write about it. Uh, you know, I rarely get interviewed and, but interestingly, when I do get interviewed, I get interviewed in a serious way, like, like now. So, you know, this, the whole story has not been told. And there's a lot more I could go on and talk about that you know, we don't have time. I think that you placed this book at the time. Like people need to go back, and I mentioned this when you kind of dropped off. It really has stood the test of time because of its uh, you know, focus on facts and real stories. So I do recommend people go back and look at this because it's not just about current Satanism. Your book goes all the way back through the Western esoteric tradition to the present. So right. yeah. You have to see all of that in context. And two, you mentioned a lot of others. I mean, your knowledge, very knowledgeable about Yeah, and I, I would say there are differences. When you start interpreting the historical background, there are reasonable differences of opinion. You know, I've had criticisms, well, you missed this, tie into Catharism. Well, I mean, there are books out there, you know, I, I try to follow a logic that makes sense because we don't have 
data. All we have are essentially uh, narratives from people who were not factual historians. The whole obsession with factual history is a modern invention. It doesn't, you don't even see it before the 17th century. Uh, so there's no way of, of knowing exactly what really happened, but you know, there were also very educated guesses to try to find thieves and patterns, and that's what I tried to do. Yeah, so kudos to you for having the courage to put this book together. It's really a great book. It's, I, I really enjoyed reading through it today. Um, for people who want to reach out to you or see some of your other work or kind of get an idea of all of your knowledge about the history of religion, uh, where's the best place where people find that? Well, they can go to my website. It's carlraschke.com. It lists all the books I've published. Gotcha. So I'll put that in the show notes, Carl Rashke. And if people have any additional questions, uh, reach out to you there. But yeah, but I can please ask you, you know, not to, if you've got some kind of personal issue or case about something, don't, don't write me helping me. I can solve it. You know, start, start studying the thing yourself. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, because, because it does take a perspective, you know, it's just, there's, there's, it's, it's like being people that can't be healthy because they're overwhelmed by junk food. You know, you can be overwhelmed with junk information. Wikipedia is a good example of that. You know, I mean, once that, that basically that whole part of Satanism was written by one guy within a three-week period of time who was out to really, because I hadn't been on Wikipedia before. And, you know, he had actually been involved historically in Wikipedia. I, I determined that. Uh, and, you know, so he could get away with a lot of stuff, but tell him to read my, my son Eric's article. Uh, it was called uh, Wrathful, uh, Wrathful Wiccan Wikipedia. It's a funny article. And it's a true story of what, how that whole thing came. And it makes look of Wikipedia, you know, look like ridiculous. So, you know, academics for years have always said, um, you know, to their students, you know, don't use Wikipedia. It's not authoritative. Uh, but this is a perfect example of how ridiculous Wikipedia can be. Right. Well, it's only getting worse. It's only getting worse. Yeah, it's only, right. oh, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of other things where they're coming on and they, they're all the red-haired, uh, purple-haired brigade, you know, just like dispersing all kinds of people. So it's not just. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for the talk. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm really You're welcome. Yeah. Take, I really appreciate it. Again, the title of the book, Painted Black, From Drug Killings to Heavy Metal, The Alarming True but, Story. Um, of what? How would you subtitle it? Um, you know, I don't know right now. Yeah. Painted, painted black, you know, what, what really is going on with Satan or something there like that. I think that painted black. Yeah. What's really going on. So it's all, I mean, look at the facts, folks, go read this book yeah. published 1990. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Is this going to be I'll recorded by the way? Is it going to be recording of this? This is, a, this is a recorded. Once I hit the stop button, which I have, oh, yet, okay. we'll be right. Hold on. I'll okay, hit the stop right. button. I'll hit the stop button.